You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative, and here to talk with me about the assembled Avengers. It's John Mills. Well, yes, I am here in a strange place that has a lot of junk, a lot of color, and a lot of jokes. I'm confused, Matt. I'm not exactly sure where I am, but I hope we can tease that out. Are you sure you're not at Dr. Seuss Land in Universal? Well, I can tell you that the color scheme is surprisingly similar, but I don't believe so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this week we have reached Thor Ragnarok, so we'll be diving into the third Thor movie. But before we do that, of course, you could find the show wherever you get your podcasts. So we are, of course, in the 602 Club feed. You'll make sure you want to subscribe to that. You can find us on Twitter at the 602 Club. We're on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. And as well, you can find us uh, online at trek.fm, where you can go over to the contact section. And you can send us an email if you would like. Uh, And if you would like to support the network, you can go over to patreon.com slash trekfm. We would really appreciate it. You could become part of our team. And make sure all of this great entertainment, ad-free, comes to you each and every week. So, John, uh, Thor Ragnarok, we're here. And one of the things that I was really interested here is they presented a bunch of different directors, 10 different ideas for what they had for this movie. And then they asked all of them to come back with a clearer picture of what this film should be. Is that the best way you think to start making a movie? I think it's the best way to make a product is to have a pitch meeting. And by product, I mean a marketing product because that's what you would do is I want to do this sort of thing. Sell me on a concept. I mean, you you do this with a lot of artistic projects. Do I think that it's right for a film? I think it depends on the results. I'm pretty sure that, you know, most franchise stuff sort of exists in that place where they're like, these are the things we want to do. How would you approach the project? But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the way it's laid out there, it seems a little... I'd be very interested to know what the other nine were that didn't win the pitch meeting, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's such an interesting thing. Because it it does show in many ways that what they're doing in the MCU is not locked in stone. You know, Feige doesn't have some master plan, per se, of what's going to happen in every single movie. There is some freedom for directors to be able to do things. And, you know, Taika Waititi is the one who gets the job to direct. And he said that a lot of what they were doing in this film is in a way kind of dismantling and destroying the old idea and rebuilding it into a new way that's fresh. 
That sounds vaguely familiar. It does, Matt. It sure does. Um, it does sound familiar. It sounds dangerous in a lot of ways, honestly. Because when you have a winning formula, do you really want to tinker with it? There are There is a need to refresh things. There is a need to breathe new life into things. And you never want to get stale. You look at Guardians of the Galaxy. We commented when we watched it that that was an injection of a different type of movie. And, oh, there, wow, okay, this influenced how everything else went because the experiment was so successful. And, you know, you, you then see that continuing down with, like, Ant-Man and, and sort of the direction of the humor as it shakes out uh, throughout the rest of, uh, you know, that phase of the MCU. Um, but... I think that with the Thor part of the franchise in specific, to be fair, they were boxed into a corner because nobody really loved either of the Thor movies. I like the, we've had this, we've gone back and forth. I I like the first Thor well enough, Mm -hmm. but everybody freely admits Thor the Dark World has its challenges Mm -hmm. and it was roundly lambasted by people. They did not care for it. And so you're coming up and you have to bring a and they tried something with Iron Man three. You and I loved it. But mm-hmm. not everybody else did. A lot of people didn't love it. Right. And so they're again at that crossroads where it's like, okay, what are we gonna do here? So yeah, I, I think they're they're kind of boxed in. And then that's that's what they got yeah. that's that's what forces their hand, basically. It is really interesting because for the other characters, at least for Iron Man and Captain America, there is a consistency in the way in which those films feel for their characters, and they feel very consistent for those characters. And each one has its own flavor, but it doesn't seem to do anything like with the character that feels completely out of place. I, I don't think for any of those, you know, those films. And with Thor, the first movie and the second movie definitely try kind of for a more serious and more Shakespearean type of feel. You know, we quibbled about, you know, which one is more successful in that. But this movie legitimately does take a completely different view of the character for the most part. And, uh, you know, what TD said, you know, he just wanted to make the best version of the of a Marvel film in his own way possible. And what that meant for this movie is that he said that about 80 percent of the dialogue was improvised. And so a lot of this is just a very loose and kind of. And and I think what's fascinating about that is that it is. Very different than the first two Thor movies. And not only that is it different than the first two Thor movies, but the character himself even feels very different for the most part. Well, yes, I I, I think I think that the reason it feels incongruous, though, especially with Thor's character, is because he does have a character growth moment in this movie uh but it's 
so abrupt and so polarizing in terms of, you know, what direction, like he, he makes such a 180 in a sense that it, it feels odd because what I mean by that is it starts off seriously enough, right? With, you know, going to find Odin, um, even though it's very funny with Dr. Strange and tying it in that way and having those humor, it always, it felt like Marvel humor sort of thing. Maybe a little more amped up, but it was still Marvel humor. And then we get to Odin, and that still feels very, you know, that's Anthony Hopkins. It's a very serious scene. He's talking about death, moving on, those sorts of things. And then Hela showing up and Mjolnir getting destroyed. And you're like, wow, these stakes are there. They're real. And then it's really a feeling like suddenly the uh, the the seriousness is forgotten, not forgotten, mm-hmm. but split off from the character's arc mm-hmm. so that yeah. there's the stakes aren't present throughout a majority of the film until suddenly they are at the end. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a lack of weight that is yes. present through it. I mean, I don't know. I'm going to try to put it better, but I don't know if that's going to even be possible because I think you really did a succinct job of explaining what is frustrating about this movie is that there are serious moments in it because what is happening is actually very serious. Mm -hmm. Like we're talking about the end of Asgard. We're talking about the end of a civilization as we know it. And no one feels fine, (laughs) you know, but... We're pretending like everything's fine because everything is literally a joke for most of the movie. Yeah. And there are only those very small moments where we're taking ourselves seriously. And it's such a emotional whiplash to go from junk jokes about the Hulk to like a serious moment that you've had just, you know, a little before that with Thor talking to Loki about what's happening at home and the reality of what Loki has done to their world mm-hmm. and what could happen to it. You know, it, it, it's there's there's such an uh, a whiplash to it that it's frustrating and and it's it, it becomes hard then to feel any of the feelings that you should feel when Asgard is being destroyed or Thor is kind of figuring out finally like what his true power is like that's something that happens in this movie very cool for the character right like we have these massive character moments and yet the humor has undercut all of that so much that by the time we get there like I legitimately don't know how to feel about it because The movie itself hasn't given itself enough weight for me to care. Yeah, and the, and the thing is, we I, I think we run the risk of coming across as curmudgeonly about it, but just with the way we've been talking about it already. And I don't want to come across as curmudgeonly, right? Because it's not that I have a problem with humor 
or going with a humorous take on things. Uh, I think that one of the things that, that makes the humor less successful is, in a large way, the outcast prince from Asgard. We've done this before. We're just mm-hmm. doing it a different way. So it, it's still repetitive, even though it's done a little bit differently. We have some terrific... I mean, I, this is where I have to give the movie a lot of credit, is I think that the art direction is fantastic. And the reason I think the art direction is fantastic is because it is such a loving homage to Jack Kirby's work in the comics, mm-hmm. from the way the panels are done, to the color schemes, to the way the, the way different shapes are used. It very much feels like those comic books that I used to see in the comic book store that, you know, they came out, yes, before mm-hmm. I was born, but like everybody knows Kirby's work and it's like, wow, that's amazing. That's so cool. It's Kirby's work come to life. That is really neat to look at. So, you know, it, it's not like this is a movie devoid of positive. And I feel like it's it's too easy to go down that road. But the problem is, I think, at the core that we have a movie here where I don't think that Waititi's heart is in the serious part of the storyline. And I would have preferred them to, if they could have in some way, ignore Ragnarok and the slaughter of innocent civilians in Asgard and people running for their lives and all of those sorts of things specifically so that we could have just indulged that the humor stuff and it would have just felt mm-hmm. more like a guardians movie or something like that, you know, or, or, or what have you. I mean, you know, I, I'm not going to go back and like try to rewrite the movie, but I, I still think there are ways you could have streamlined it mm-hmm. so that it doesn't have this one opening and then all of this other stuff and the, the, this other thing happening, you know, parallel to it. I, I just think it's, there is a version of this movie. There's one or two drafts, beyond this script that make it fit mm. together better. Yeah. You know, I, I think it, it's a, it's a good call to, to call out the, the production value. And, and I will hear because I do think for the most part, the movie does look pretty good in that sense of, uh, and, and especially all praise Asgard itself. It looks the best it's ever looked on green here and part of that is that they actually went to i believe new zealand to film some of those outdoor scenes um and it it feels like a bigger more robust place which is great you know and i think that's really smart you know we we just we see more of asgard than just the palace and it feels like a a a much larger place i mean which has always been kind of weird that's the 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 key to the nine realms and yet it's on this disc that always felt very small um this made it feel like almost like a whole planet just flat you know and so i think all of that is great and um really helped the 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 film in, in that sense but you know i think that like you said it's just not enough to to overcome the proclivities i think of waititi who is always more interested in almost every film I've seen him direct in the 
less than serious. Um, and I, I think that's something that for here, I, I like I get that they are trying something new, but I do think that all of these, the, the best Marvel movies have been, have found a way to marry their humor with the storytelling in a way that makes them feel coherent yeah. and beneficial for the most part to the, the whole. Now, now the one, the one, the one thing I'll throw out there is that uh, if anybody has not seen the hunt for the wilder people, that's a Taika Waititi film that I think does balance humor and seriousness and everything flows very, very well in it. I absolutely adore that film. I think it is a magnificent film. It is more than well worth seeing. Um, and I, I know that when you talk about his, you know, his comedy acumen, it, of course you think of what we do in the shadows is the first thing that pops into mind. That's very much his humor. Um, and it, you know, and that's a great zany comedy, uh, sort of situation. Like it's a lot of, a lot of fun with him and Jermaine Clements. And, um, I just, I just think that this is, you know, I, I mean, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse. So instead, what I'll do is shift over to, I think some of the conflict in direction can be detected in Carl Urban's character, who feels like a character who is the victim of not enough rewrites or too many rewrites or whittling down because he's the quasi comic piece that then remains in the serious side of things and gets more and more serious, you know, and all of his comedy is taken away because what's going on is so awful really, uh, you know, with, with, with what's happening. Um, and then you have Heimdale. I mean, Idris Elba, Seems like he showed up to work in a in the movie that he yep. thought he filmed that scene for in uh, Age of Ultron. Feels yeah. like that's the movie he showed up for. Yeah, I mean, one of the things about this movie is that the casting is really good for the most part. I think. Um, I, I think that uh, the the biggest get here. And, and the person I probably enjoy the most in the film, and mainly it's because their characterization is the most consistent throughout the whole thing, which is to take things and the story seriously, and it really helps, is Hella. You know, I think Kate Blanchett is here to just chew up scenery, and everything that she's doing, everything she's revealing about the idea of Asgard and what it used to be and the way that Odin has basically just tried to cover things up uh, and, um, you know, because he wanted a, a new way, but he didn't basic he basically didn't want anybody to know what the past was, you know, and, and just cover your cultural sins. Like all of that is incredibly interesting. And I, I would think. Like, when you think about the thematic element that's happened there, it's so relevant to just about every country in the world, right? Are, are, are we going to face our national sins and own up to them? 
or are we going to try and sweep them literally sweep them over the under the rug or repaint them yeah you know and so everything that she's doing is fantastic and she's great in this role it's just the rest of the movie doesn't do a great job of supporting her and her character and the very serious i think thematic element that she's throwing at the other characters yeah uh it, it's um it is interesting because it definitely seems like this movie also comes out at a point where that that sort of conversation was very topical you know about how do you address those sorts of things like how do you remember your heroes sort of thing and does it uh i mean there's there's very much the potential for what does it do for somebody like thor who oh i never knew that about my dad well you know and and how do you how do you deal with that like when you get that bigger picture when you get the the view of maybe your parents weren't so great and uh they 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 failed in a lot of ways like you know how much how much does love uh allow you to f- to forgive or forget you know over time uh and, and what what is that sort of breaking point and you know because that's something that everybody has to deal with in their lives every single child has to deal with that at some point um you know realizing that their parents were never perfect and how imperfect are they willing to allow them to be and how imperfect were they you know like all of the different qualifiers and everything like that um but and I know this is sort of a curveball, but this is what I got. This is what I got to wonder. I, you know, I, I mentioned we we can wind up sounding like curmudgeons, but in all seriousness, this movie made serious bank, and you and I both know mm-hmm. people that love it, adore it, mm-hmm. think it's one of the best Marvel movies out there, think it's absolutely fantastic. I think it's fair to say I'm pretty sure we've tipped our hand pretty early that we're not landing in the five-star camp why do you think this this in specific especially in the wake of something like guardians of the galaxy volume two which deals with the same sort of thing of finding out your dad is kind of an a-hole right Mm -hmm. and not the hero you had in your brain and you have other movies that have you know not just with that theme, but you have Guardians the Guardians 2, you have um, Spider-Man dealing with that sort of like father issue with Iron Man. You know, we talked about that mm-hmm. previously. And we have a pretty strong phase of Marvel movies going here. It's pretty, pretty solid. Why does this one seem to resonate so much, do you think? I think it's on the charisma of Chris Hemsworth. I think... Chris Hensworth is just so likable and he is very funny. You know, um, I, I think he is a really funny character. And in fact, you know, we had kind of seen that in the original Thor movie. And in many ways, Thor is kind of frat bro, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think in many ways, they just kind of leaned into that. And, and there's a he's a frat bro with kind of a brain in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, more so than the first movie, but he feels a little bit more akin to that. And and part of that is just letting him use his comedic chops, which is he's he's great at that. Um, and I, I think they finally just let that happen. I I think that's one of the things that people would really respond to is that 
you're finding an actor who has an element that a lot of people didn't, maybe didn't realize they had. Mm. And they just really found that they enjoyed that. And I think that might be one of the things that people really respond to in this movie. And I can't take that away from them because, in all honesty, he is really funny. Yeah, he is. Uh, I think another great movie to to see him trying to break out of the, the Thor mold, and I think he successfully does it. Um, really nice surprise role is uh, uh, Bad Times at the El Royale. Um, oh, yeah. is a good one to check out with, with, with Hemsworth in it. If anybody's looking for an off the beaten path choice, um, yep. That excellent gotta, in that movie. Yeah, he really is. Um, yeah, you know, I, I mean, it's just, it's something that I've always, I've always gone with sort of this, this thing where I'm not sure why, you know, it, it it gets so it gets as much love as it as it mm-hmm. as it did. But I, I think you're right. Hemsworth is obviously happy to be there and having a great time. He's getting to do something different. He's mm-hmm. not boxed in. He's not being forced to be, uh, you know, the the uninteresting one again, right? Mm-hmm. And it yeah. It, and in essence, it frees him up for that type of work in future movies in infinity war yep we're gonna see him flex that muscle as well and then in end game he's gonna lean really heavily into it yep. right to to become a more comic yep. relief character um can i ask you i think a maybe the uh hulk in the room um question uh-oh. about the hulk yes and whether or not you feel like that was the right choice to basically merge Planet Hulk and Ragnarok together? Well, my only question would be this. I don't think they had a right choice, so what other choice would they have for working Hulk back into the story before Infinity War? Mm -hmm. How else do they find him? It's very utilitarian. It's very mm-hmm. unfortunate, but if they don't bring him back here, they're not going to bring him back in Black Panther. Right. And you, you're not going to want to spend the time looking for him in Infinity War, unless you want him to have sure. a sudden surprise show up. It's like... Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I, I think it's... I think he had to be in there, mm-hmm. and of the choices of how to do it, Merging Planet Hulk, that's eh, not a bad one. I, I sincerely wish this is this is another one of those things where trailers ruin the experience. Sometimes they put in the trailer when Hulk comes out and Thor goes, "Yeah, he's my friend. I know him from work." If they had simply shown Thor going, "Yeah," and grandmaster being puzzled and then i didn't get that line until i went into the theater mm-hmm. it plays a lot better and i know that it can be petty to blame a trailer for it but it's like your first emotional moment with a story beat is very important and that's why people get so touchy mm-hmm. about spoilers is if you take away that initial sort of like chemical bonding moment it's that much harder to plug into the rest of it and so I think that's the trailer didn't didn't do them any favors. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Uh, and I do think that it's interesting here, too, because it is very clear, especially after the Incredible Hulk film, is they really don't know what to do with this character at all. They have no idea what to do with him. And, you know, they tried what they did in Age of Ultron, which I would say is an utter failure there. And here, I wouldn't call it an utter failure, but again, I feel like the lack of seriousness to which we're dealing with the character and what he's going through. I mean, when you really think about the trauma that Banner has been under to basically have himself shoved into the corner of the Hulk's mind for two years. Yeah. Like we're talking about something that's really psychologically damaging and terrible. And and it kind of references a lot of the psychologically damaging and terrible things that we're having revealed about Thor's family. Right. You know, I, Learning that, honestly, Thor's dad, Odin, is, like, legitimately the worst father ever. He's terrible liar to his kids and just leaves his kids with all these lies. And these lies have continued to unravel his family till the very end, which leads to the end of their entire civilization as they know it. Like, he's a mm-hmm. terrible person and a terrible father. Um, and, but that that that's what we're dealing with in the reality of the story and yet i never re- i i want to be able to feel for the character of hulk here but i never feel for him because i'm never giving it a moment really to feel for him in a way that drives home that emotional stake of what this poor guy has been through since the moment he i mean when you think back to the beauty of how they handled this in the incredible hulk i mean it's like that's a Picasso and this is a well child's drawing. That is a that is a Hulk that cannot uh exist anymore. Like they can't really reference uh you know that that movie too too deeply because that is definitely from a a bygone era of Marvel by that point. And so it it sort of does stand alone. In that sense, it, it it's not really it like it's part of the MCU, but not really part of the MCU sort of vibe, right? Um, and it's just uh, uh I mean that, that that's the thing, right? Is I I have to admire Watiti where when we're in the comedic moments, he does just go for broke, and he's like, "Look, this is the funny part, and this is what we're going to do." He doesn't flinch there. He is committed to that, but that's why the other more serious to the bit. All right. Yeah. But that's why the, you know, the other more serious stuff feels like, oh, this is the obligatory story beat that they made me do. Mm -hmm. I have to show this because Mm -hmm. Ragnarok has to happen. So, okay, might as well have it happen uh, sort of thing. I mean, in all honesty, in all honesty, watching this movie again. As much as it pains me to say it, could you or could you not, or ask it, I should say, could you or could you not just cut out everything having to do with Hela, except for the beginning and the end, 
and it would have no impact on the movie, truly. It is kind of true because there's, I mean, it really feels like the tale of two films, right? There's the storyline that's happening with her, and then there's all the stuff that's happening with Hulk and Thor. Mm -hmm. And they don't marry very well. Well, no, but but that but that's why I'm asking the question. Is there anything we have to follow Thor? And Thor has to get back and Thor has to, you know, trigger Ragnarok. Is there anything that would suffer if if we sat down and we said, "Okay, let's create our own fan edit of Thor Ragnarok and we just excised everything so that we basically go to you know, Grandmaster's planet?" And stay there, and we never see Hela again until we go back to Asgard. Would it really create any problems, story-wise? No. And that's why I can't care about it. I, I do actually, like you said, Hemsworth is charming. And so I do, I do still have a good time on, you know, for those parts of the movies overall. But I just, you know, it would cut back to, to Asgard. And I was like, okay. I just didn't care. Because I knew it was mm-hmm. inconsequential. There was nothing happening that was going to do anything that was going to change anything with the story, that was going to impact the story right. at all. So why should I invest anything into it? I, I mean, it's a great question. Um, and I, I don't know. And, you know, I, I was, you know, talking to my wife about this when we were uh, finishing the movie. And I, I was saying that the the the, the main problem with the film is that because it's so schizophrenic, I actually don't really care. I just kind of want Asgard to be destroyed so everybody will shut the hell up. Right. And the movie will be over because it it is so schizophrenic. It can't figure out what it wants to be. And it, it again, it, it doesn't marry together. It's like oil and water. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. You could take the whole part out with hella for the most part and just have a beginning and the end and and uh, it might fit better but on top of that i mean i guess i think one of the things that i want to ask you about because it's such a the trash planet and the grandmaster and everything there i mean do you find yourself invested in any of that well i mean insofar as it's the part that ytd cares about and i have fun Mm -hmm. there yeah, I mean, I plug in mm-hmm. because it's, you know, again, like I said, like that's at least that's at least the part of the movie where everybody's focused and they're they're committed and that's where they want to be, and so I'm along for the ride, and it's interesting to look at because of the Kirby design influences, um, and they 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 do a good enough job with it, and you know, everybody loves Jeff Goldblum being Jeff Goldblum, it's just the way things are. And um, where I where I uh, hit any roadblocks with it are that again, because of the way that the story is structured and the way that the the film is structured, I know that it's inevitable I got to leave, and I know that it's inevitable that Thor's not in any danger during mm-hmm. this. So, in essence, the you know the sense of stakes are gone. Because, you know, Asgard getting destroyed. Okay, well, we'll get around to that. I know Thor's not going to die. 
And so I don't know if maybe that that is why Watini leans so heavily into the comedy aspect of it is because there's almost like a meta recognition of I'm not going to insult you by trying to pretend that Thor's in danger here because he's not. You know, if anybody's going to die, maybe Loki, but y'all like him too Mm -hmm. much. So, no. Yeah. You know, so it's that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, and that's an interesting question, too, because, uh, you know, one of the the big things that we do in this movie is that we continue the story for Loki and Thor and Thor's kind of learned a lot when it comes to his relationship with Loki. He doesn't make a lot of the same mistakes here, but at the same time, we actually see Loki kind of make a turn in this movie that will that continue um, but, I mean, he does legitimately risk his life for someone other than himself. In fact, he helps risk his life for all of Asgard to try and save as many people as possible. And I thought that that was, of of the one, of anything in this movie, I think that might be the best through line. And the thing that maybe pays off the most is actually seeing that relationship between Thor and Loki and then the growth that Loki gets in this film to possibly kind of turn a corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but they've sort of messed with our heads about Loki before. So it's like, I, you know, even that, um, I'm not necessarily all in emotionally on because I'm like, hey, yeah, we've seen the Loki, mm-hmm. you know might not be such a bad guy you know it it, in honestly in all honesty it's sort of like iron man in miniature where we have to regress him so that we can forward him again because we don't know how to forward him beyond a certain point and retain the character in an interesting way Mm -hmm. um and you know so i mean that's you know it is what it is i guess um but what I well, I do feel like it's it's almost where it's like they've met the breaking point. It's like okay, we either have to have Loki make a change, or you know, it's like we can't just keep dancing around this, right? In the same way because it's it's old, which is exactly what kind of happens, right? Like Loki thinks he has the upper hand on Thor, and Thor gets the upper hand on him, right? Because he's actually learned. Of the way his his brother operates you know yeah. and so it's like we're we are trying to kind of progress this story beyond the same thing happening over and over and over again which you know I, I think maybe for me is is probably one of my favorite things about the film is just that like okay we're going to also treat the audience with some respect here by saying yeah you're not willing to just have these characters fall for the same thing over and over again either and and still call them heroes basically let me ask you a question taika watiti uh you know inserts himself into the film with a funny character korg the rock creature he's a cute and funny character but maybe a bit too self-indulgent do you think that this movie maybe should not have had Korg or do you think that Korg is an overall positive for the movie? I hate this character, John. Really? I hate him. 
I, I, I very seldom hate things in films, but I hate this character. And it's because he's indicative of everything that is wrong with this movie. A joke ruins a serious moment. Like at the very end of the film where they're watching yeah. it blow up and he's making the joke about how if you have the good foundations, it'll be fine. And then he's like, oh, I guess not. It's like, please, for the love of all the totally, just shut the hell up. You are ruining the 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 movie. You are ruining what should be a very solemn and terrible moment for all of these people watching their world be completely obliterated forever. And you're making a joke out of it. Why are you making a joke out of the planet being destroyed? Well, to be fair, because the movie's trying to be a comedy, I guess, but <sighs> you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't normally yell. In fact, that might be the first time I've ever yelled on a podcast, but I yeah, am not. so mad at this film for doing that. Um, I, I can sort of get that. I, it doesn't seem too out of place for a Marvel movie though. By this point in the phases, they've had moments like this and I, you'll say, Oh, well, name one. And it's like, okay, you got to give me a hot minute here. But, Mm -hmm. um, that's the thing. But even guardians, the galaxy, like they have that beautiful moment where they have with Yondu, right? Where he's sacrificing his life for star Lord and star Lord doesn't make a joke there. He's emotionally traumatized by what's happening. Now, he'll make a couple of jokes during the funeral scene, you know, but that's because it's the character not knowing how to deal with his emotions. Whereas here, it's like all of these other characters should be dealing with their emotions of what they're watching literally happening in front of them. And then you have a character who has no connection with it making a joke about it. I I see what you're saying. I, I understand what you're saying now because in Guardians, it's a specific thing that has to do with the main character and main characters, yeah. and they give it a moment to breathe mm-hmm. to let you have the story beat. It's sort of like in another movie that you and I enjoy a great deal, Star Wars, where Ben dies and they have a moment. Luke has at least yep. a moment to mourn before they go to the next story beat. And you might say, well, it still gets there quickly, whatever, not going to quibble about this. You're saying Korg's joke could have even worked if everything, you know, blows up and then Mm -hmm. people are dealing with it and you have a story beat and then they say something and like, maybe there's a chunk of Asgard left. And then he says, well, you know, you still got the foundation. And then the foundation cracks and he goes, well, okay. You're saying so long as it doesn't happen Mm -hmm. in that specific moment, if you move it just later, then you've controlled the comedy impulse. And you're Mm -hmm. saying that scene in specific shows how they lose control of the comedy impulse throughout the entire thing, which undercuts any sense of stakes. I got you. And that is, I agree with you, that is why the Guardians movies are more successful than Ragnarok in terms of being... Uh, comedy action movies is because mm-hmm. of the fact that they take those beats and let the real emotions land before they make the next joke. I agree with you on that front. And maybe well, and then, 
part of that though too for just forgive me for interjecting no, but no, please. is the fact that we know that a lot of the humor coming specifically from Star-Lord is because he has an inability to actually deal with these emotionally complex moments because he hasn't really had anybody mirror for him how to do so and therefore it is in character for that to happen and i think right. that's the other difference like it it it's a part of the storytelling for that character's growth you know what you know what i think it is i really do think it's this is the guardians movies even though the incredibly talented cast makes it feel like it's on the fly and natural they're carefully scripted movies yes and what you're saying is if this had been more carefully scripted and i think that's what it is is what what you're putting your finger on is that loose improv script approach works incredibly well for something like what we do in the shadows which is mm-hmm. one of the funnier movies i've seen in the last you know like couple of decades and the 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 series that uh, jemaine clements made based on it is really funny as well. Very risque, very adult audience, but it's a very funny show. But I see your point here is you need to have a script, a tight script, so that you know your comedy beats, so that you're not just winging that. And I wonder if some of that winging is why some of the compositing, we've hit that phase where you're getting the Marvel movies where some of the stuff looks great and then the other stuff doesn't look great. And if and we talked about this with the Guardians movies mm-hmm. before where we said Gunn knows what he wants and those effects are always incredible top to bottom, start to finish in his movies because it seems like he's just going into the team and saying this is it. I wonder if the loosey-goosey nature of this one contributed to a little bit of um, topsy-turvy uh timelines for the effects crew mm-hmm. in the back end i i don't I mean, know it's but. an excellent point because uh, i i do think you're right to call out there more than a few moments in this movie where the compositing isn't great um there's some incredibly beautiful shots especially with like establishing shots with asgard and stuff that look really good you could tell they had poured a lot of time into things um but then there are others where it's just it's you're wondering to yourself, is is this a this is a Marvel movie? Is this is this um because there are things that just jump out to you like, oh, that that whole scene literally doesn't exist except for the two people standing there on some blue screen and in a way that doesn't I mean it's we're not talking, you know, Attack of the Clones here where we're doing this for the first time. You know, no. This this is this is, you know, twenty years later. So um, no, I 100% agree with you on that front. And um, I also do have to ask you because, you know, we always talk about it. And I think really interesting choice here. We have a completely new director. We have a completely new composer here uh, for the music, which is is an interesting choice. You know, we both really loved the last soundtrack for uh, The Dark World, even though we didn't love that movie. We thought the soundtrack was really good. And here, um, Mark Mothersbaugh comes in and 
does a very different type of score. And how how do you feel like it works in the movie? Honestly, I think that uh, this is a fantastic score. Uh, I, I mean, I, I tend to be very, very up on this score. As hard as I can wind up being on, um, you know, uh, uh, movie scores and stuff like that. I, Mother's Ball, I've been a huge fan of his and his movie scores uh, for a long time. Rushmore was the first time I was ever conscious of him doing a score that I loved. And everybody remember. The funny thing is, everybody remembers the song choices in movies that Mother's Ball does. But Mother's Ball, you know, he did Rushmore. He did uh, the Lego movie, which was an incredible score. And I, I honestly think the score for this is wonderful. I love the theme mm-hmm. that he does. I love uh, his placement of music. I love his choices. I do think the music's terrific. What about you? Yeah, I think it works for the movie. It's not my personal favorite, but I think he makes a good choice by going more electronic because of the type of movie that we have. Um, and I think that's a, again, I mean, I that's a good choice for him to, to do for, for this movie. Um, it's just not my personal favorite, um, but I do like the kind of way that he weaves in what we get um, theme wise, you know, from the previous composers and he makes it his own and everything. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it it's definitely not bad. I do think it, it, to me, it's probably overshadowed by obviously the immigrant song, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, because I think that's the thing that people remember the most about this movie is the use of that, which is, I think really well done and really well placed and very smart to use. It fits completely with this character and, and all of that. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it, it's, it's a good score. Um, so I, and I, I, I'm not really, I don't have a too much to say about it. It's not one that I listen to frequently or anything. Um, but I, I think, it it what's interesting is it has as a it, it the maybe the most zimmerishness to any of the mm. marvel scores so far you know um i think of like a zimmer's work for like blade runner 2049 type of thing this it, i don't know it just kind of has a, a totally different flavor to it than most of the other marvel scores for the most part so which is not a bad thing i mean mainly cuz this movie is so off the wall and zany that I think the score just fits that. I think the score uh, roots it in a, in a way that mm-hmm. is interesting, but it, it's also, you know, to your point, it's just, it's one of those elements like the, el- what's frustrating about approaching a movie like Thor Ragnarok is individual elements can be p- plucked out. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't really care for, the way that the fight scenes sort of drag on that use immigrant song because it mm-hmm. just sort of keeps going. And it's like, a, a, Oh, Oh, we're going, this the whole song. Okay. That's a, that's a choice and it's a committed choice, but is it the right choice? Question mark. Um, and, <laughs> and I think that, I think that what it is, is everybody loves that opening you know, the, the, those those opening riffs and as well they should, because it's, it's one of the greatest openings of 
any rock song ever made. But like, and you remember that that scene, like when he comes down and he's he's blasted Hella and he's coming down and mm-hmm. it's that slow motion, beautiful shot, just absolutely gorgeous. And then it goes in and it's like, yeah, we're going. And then the battle drags out and the song's still yeah. going, but you're losing the song because now it's just a visual muddle because yeah. you got to find shots to stretch everything out and match the song as opposed to making the song mm-hmm. match the moment. Yeah. And how 100%. do you approach that? I don't know. I'm not a film director, but I, yeah. I, I would, I would offer, you know, the, the same thing I always say, I'm not a football coach, but I can tell you when a play is a badly designed play because I watch it go and I'm like, wow. Yeah. But if you ask me what I do, I'd be like, I don't know, but I wouldn't do that. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I, I'm glad that you brought that up because I do think it's something that I hadn't necessarily thought of. But the idea of the way in which especially that action scene at the end does kind of like drag on quite a bit without enough really, uh, I would say, emotional beats to kind of help you stay connected to it is something that is a little bit frustrating for sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm i interested. In, was there anything else that you, like, especially with rewatching this movie, um, was there anything else, good or bad, that kind of stood out to you or thought was interesting or worth, you know, kind of talking about it before we get to the ratings? Nah, let's get to the ratings. Well, I, I'm honestly fascinated then to see where you are with this because i don't know so what are you going to rate thor ragnarok i'm going to qualify this as saying because i like mother's balls music and the jack kirby inspired title card and design work so much that i know i'm being kinder than maybe i should be uh and it comes in at two stars from me what about you i had a really hard time re-watching this movie john and i i don't know oh no if, Here if it comes. anybody um if anybody caught that uh, <laughs> during the episode here um if you didn't you probably muted it on accident at some point and and this just skipped to the end here um i really dislike this movie that's um, fair. And I dislike this movie uh, because I think uh, people might uh, might think that I've just been overly harsh on it. But, you know, I, I did see places in this film where I, I saw a better movie, um, one that that by taking itself a little bit more seriously was really uh, interesting um, and uh and it and it was frustrating to me too because I mean this is something that's really interesting that's happening and and the character of Hella I found fascinating as well as everything that she was bringing up um, about you know uh, Asgard, Thor's lineage, Odin, all of these things I thought was great. I love Kate Blanchett; she's one of my favorites. And so I was really excited to have her in this movie. And so rewatching this film, 
it gets a one and a half. Oh, that's not too far off. Okay. It, it's not too far off, but I when I looked back, it was a two and a half. When I looked back, it was a three. I was apparently so. in a much better mood back then. But the thing is, we never talked about seeing it for the first time. This was a movie I saw alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this was the first movie I might have gone out to the theater to see after I moved. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this is the first movie that I saw in a new movie theater in a new state, in a new home. Mm. Uh, you know, however many years ago that was. So that's crazy. Yeah. And this movie loses a star because Sif isn't in it. So, but at least she wasn't because also, you know, all of the friends of his got unceremoniously killed. So, yeah, that was, you know, at least she wasn't in that scene. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I guess, uh, before I get to the rankings, you know, uh, who cares about the one cut scene with the, the grandmasters thing? We do get the post credit scene where, or the mid credit scene, I think it is where they're intercepted by a large spaceship, and then we're just left hanging on what's happened to the leftover as guardians. Like, yep, that's not a bad. Uh, as stingers go, that's not a bad one. That's a pretty good teaser. I agree. Uh, you know, as far as teasers go, because that's what these stingers basically should be as far as teasers Mm -hmm. go. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, I agree with you. The grandmasters one is a bit of a, I don't know, bit of a letdown uh, by comparison. So, you know, so I guess, uh, it comes down to, I'm wondering where this is going to fall in the rankings. You know, for you. uh, it made me reassess more than just the one slot. So there's been a little bit of a shakeup, uh, throughout oh, the entire righty. list. Uh, not, not up at the top though. We'll, we'll get there down at the bottom. And I think everybody, we've been dropping hints. Uh, everybody's going to be shocked that, well, we'll get there. Uh, okay. Captain America, the winter soldier. Iron Man 3, Ant-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Iron Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, Doctor Strange, Captain America Civil War, Captain America First Avenger, The Incredible Hulk, Thor, Spider-Man Homecoming, The Avengers, Thor The Dark World, Iron Man 2, Thor Ragnarok, Avengers Age of Ultron. It finally fell. Because as I have sat with that after the rewatch and seeing Thor Ragnarok, which I was sure was going to be dead last and was making all of these jokes leading up to it, I suddenly realized as I was watching Thor Ragnarok that I would rather watch Thor Ragnarok again than ever watch Avengers Age of Ultron again. And keep in mind, Iron Man 2 has been dead last on this list. It's true. And I came to realize I dislike Age of Ultron so much that it winds up being the padding to keep Ragnarok <laughs> from hitting its butt on the pavement. So, uh, what? Oh, I love it. What up? That's awesome. What up with your list? Okay. So, uh, Winter Soldier, Iron Man, Iron Man 3, Civil War, First Avenger. None of that's changed. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Ant-Man, Doctor Strange, The Incredible Hulk, Spider-Man Homecoming, 
Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers, Thor the Dark World, Iron Man 2, Thor, Avengers Age of Ultron, Thor Ragnarok. There's a new basement. Wow. For me. So. Wow. I I realized that I would rather watch Avengers Age of Ultron where I at least get to enjoy characters that I like, like Cap and stuff like that, then my goal in life, very simple now, is to never watch Ragnarok again. Now, see, I would flip that on its head and say, uh, I'm so insulted by Age of Ultron's attempts (laughs) to be an organized story (laughs) that at the very least, Taika Waititi respects me enough to say, yeah, I don't care about the organized stuff. Let's just have a time. I could see a mm-hmm. life yeah. where I put on Ragnarok in the background as I'm doing something mm. uh, that I need to focus on so that I can ignore it. But Age of Ultron will always suck me in with, oh, this is mm-hmm. so terrible. Why did they let him do this? <laughs> see, and the, and, the, and the thing is, is that for me, I would say, honestly, there's probably... And and most likely there's just this going to be this basement of of movies for Marvel that I would just I'll do my best never to watch again after this. Yeah, just because I don't find them worth rewatching. And I would say that Ultron as well as Ragnarok are both in that camp for me. Yeah, I don't know. So. I think you get me drunk enough or uh, slip. <laughs> something magical in my hamburger maybe i'll think ragnarok's like a five-star movie but uh yeah it's not, very colorful not when i'm in a normal state no so well if people want to you know find out where they can slip something in your hamburger john where can people find you well i'm accepting donations to my hamburger <laughs> with kessel coin and you can reach me at uh as kessel junkie wherever you're looking for me um and I've even now uh, committed to finally on Letterboxd, I, I have it now called the obligatory MCU list because everybody's got to have one. Um, it's true. It's so true. aside from looking for me as Kessel Junkie, you can find me over on the Nerd Party Network where I co-host two shows, one called House Lights with Tristan Riddell and Darren Moser, where we revisit the works of directors uh, by different segments, topics, and all of that sort of stuff. And also another one, a delightful Star Wars podcast that I'm on called Aggressive Negotiations, where I have a co-host who's more charming than Korg with me every week, and his name is Matthew Rushing. Well, uh, of course, you could find me all over the place under the name Matt Rushing Zero Two. Uh, you can find me here on the network uh, in the main feed here with the Six Hundred Two Club, with all of the different episodes that we do here, uh, talking about all of those different fandoms we love course doing literary treks the orb as well as warp five literary treks about the books and the comics of star trek the or is about star trek deep space nine and warp five is about star trek enterprise and then on the nerd party network you could find me doing owl post with drea kaufman as we talked about every single chapter of the harry potter series one chapter at a time as well as of course aggressive negotiations but thank you so much for joining us Avengers! <laughs> <laughs>